0: Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And as we begin our new sermon series on mission with the Apostle Paul, I want to talk to you today about a missions minded church. A missions minded church. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, if you ask many people today, what is a church? They would probably say, well, it's a large building with a steeple and there's the three P's. You've got the pews, the piano, and the pulpit. And you've got a lot of people there on Sundays who are worshiping and greeting one another and showing love toward one another. And that is the answer that you would get most of the time if you ask someone, what is a church? But you see, I believe that many people today have forgot what a real Bible-believing New Testament church is. In the New Testament... And in the Greek language, the church is a word that is called ekklesia. And that word means those who are called out. And it speaks about those people who are believers in Jesus Christ that have been called out of the world and into being followers and servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is what a church is. It is the body of believers, of all those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ and have been born again. And they are called together to do His service Forever as long as they live. And then one day they will all go to be with Him in heaven for eternity. So, with that definition in mind of what a church is, a church is not a building, it's not a particular set of furniture or or a pulpit or a piano or anything like that. A church is a body of believers. Now, if we were to all go across the road or out here in the field and have church today, it would still be Black Springs Baptist Church because we would all be there together as believers. But what I want to call your attention to today is not just the definition of a church, but what the church should be. What should the body of believers of Jesus Christ be? Well, if you read the New Testament and you read about the early churches and what they were and how they operated, I think that the term a missions-minded church is one that should be used as a description. A missions-minded church is one that is dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission— given by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 through 20. Now in that chapter, that's a very familiar passage to us all, the Great Commission. We spoke about it just a few weeks ago when we talked about witnessing to others and sharing our faith. But I want to read it once again to help you understand something. In Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 through 20, Jesus tells the disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now that is the Great commission, and we have heard that many times and While many people may take that as initiative to go overseas to do foreign missions, which it is, it is also instructions for the local church. Now, when Jesus gave this Great Commission to the disciples, they were being sent out to start churches in many areas of the world. This very church that we are a part of today is because those early disciples obeyed Jesus Christ and went out and started new churches. And leaders from those churches started other new churches until it completely has wrapped around the entire world today. But there are two parts of the Great Commission that are very important that we can't miss The first part is the fact that Jesus says that we must make disciples of all nations and baptize them. You see, evangelism is the first command of the Great Commission. In that structure in the sentences there that we just read, the first thing Jesus mentions is that we must evangelize people and bring them to saving faith in Him as Lord and Savior. That is the first priority of the church. The second priority is this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Notice that it comes after evangelism, once that you have a person saved and you have a group of people that are believing, the church is then responsible for teaching them and to disciple them in all that Jesus has commanded. In other words, all the scriptures that were inspired by Jesus Christ himself. Their job as a church is to do evangelism and to do discipleship for all those who are saved. So a mission-minded church is one that is focused on reaching the lost with the gospel and discipling the saved to look more like Christ. And what does this mean for us as a church? It means that we spend the majority of our time and our resources and our planning and our building and our work on those two goals of reaching more people with the gospel and the ones who are saved, training them and teaching them how to be like Jesus Christ. And that is our two goals as a church. And in doing all of that, we will be worshiping the Lord, and we will be glorifying His name. So in essence, like you see on the front of our bulletin, what we are to do as a church is to worship Christ, to grow in His Word, and to reach our community with the gospel. And that is fulfilling the Great Commission. And that is what I'm calling being a missions-minded church. But you know, in the church today all across the world there are many lazy congregations there are many churches out there that don't have any initiative to reach people with the gospel and then once people come to join their church they don't have any initiative or any any mindset that they want to train those people in the things of jesus christ it reminds me of a story i once heard about a famous missionary named jay hudson taylor he was a missionary who had done a lot of work in china And one day he had a one-legged school teacher from Scotland that walked into his office and said, Mr. Taylor, I would like to give myself over to service in China. Taylor asked him, he said, well, with only one leg, why do you want to go as a missionary? He said, I do not see those with two legs going, so I might as well go. You see, there are many able churches today that could be doing local missions. They could be discipling people within the churches, but they are not willing to do so, and somebody has to do it if we are going to fulfill the Great Commission. Many people today are confused about what the church is. Some people believe that the church is just a place for fun activities. The church is a social club or a place where we come to hang out with all of our friends and family members. Some people believe that the church is just a place to come and hear good music, their favorite old-time songs. Maybe today there are many who see the church as a place to hear a feel-good sermon and able to leave feeling great about themselves and not convicted about their sin. And there are many churches today that are not interested in doing the work of the ministry, but they are doing very little to share the gospel and to train those who are in the church in the commands of Jesus Christ. So we must never become a lazy and stagnant church, but we must become a church that is missions-minded, one that wants to go out and share the gospel, one that wants to train our members in the things of Jesus Christ. And all together we will be glorifying God and praising His name. Now, in the New Testament, there is not a better example of such a church than was in the church of Antioch. If you read through the book of Acts, the church of Antioch was a very powerful church. They had a lot of activities that related to missions, a lot of activities for training people in the gospel and training people to live more like Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 11, we notice that the church at Antioch was one where great teaching took place, and it was the very first place in the New Testament where the term Christian was applied to the followers of Christ. And also in Acts chapter 11, we find out that the church of Antioch sent relief to a suffering church in Jerusalem that was suffering from famine. And then in Acts chapter 13, where we are today, the church answers the Holy Spirit's calling by sending Paul and Barnabas out as missionaries to the lost world. So this church was deeply rooted in teaching people the Word of God and bringing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ through evangelism. The church was mission-minded in every way. And I believe today that the church of Antioch serves as a model for the way that this church and every church of Jesus Christ should operate. And the truth is, we must keep the Great Commission as our top priority in this church we must be willing to go out and reach the lost and to teach those who are one to Christ how to live like Jesus and all at the same time praising the Lord and worshiping in his name so today as we talk about a missions minded church I want to share with you three truths about being a missions minded church what does it mean what do we need to have in place to be a missions minded church well I want to share with you three truths about that today the first truth is this. A missions-minded church must be operated by missions-minded leaders. It must be operated by missions-minded leaders. Look what the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, I don't think that there is any accident that Luke begins this passage about the church speaking about its leaders. He gives us an account of the leadership of the church because it is so important that if a church wants to be a missions minded church, one who accomplishes the Great Commission, the church must have strong, godly, biblical leaders. And these are an all star list of such leaders. Notice what it says these leaders were doing it says that they were prophets. And teachers. The word prophet here in the Bible speaks of one who was giving God's word over to the congregation, one who was instructing the congregation on what the Lord would have them to do. Now, it was very practical many times about what they would teach the church. Sometimes these inspired prophets would speak on behalf of God as far as future events, they would tell of things that God wanted the church to know about something that was happening in the future so that they could prepare a ministry for. But most of the time, these prophets were just speaking on behalf of God, giving instructions to the local church on practical needs. Now, the role of prophet in this sense ended once the Bible was completely written. But today, the role of prophet is seen in what we would consider a pastor, one who preaches and proclaims God's word to the people. And not only do they have prophets, but it also says that this church had many teachers, uh, teachers were like today. They were ministers who were responsible for giving a clear understanding of the truth. These were people who taught and explained the word of God, the, the word of God that was handed down to them through Jesus Christ himself and also through the inspired writings of the apostles, the very scriptures that we have today. These teachers were responsible for showing the church the meaning and applying the meaning to the people. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 We understand that the teachers were one of those who were required to equip the saints for the ministry. The teachers were to equip people on how to do ministry and how to worship and how to serve and how to do all the rest that the Bible teaches us to do. So the teachers were very important as well. Now the point is is that these leaders were consumed with the word of God. They were proclaiming the Word of God. They were teaching the Word of God. They had a very clear understanding of what God's Word says that a church ought to be like. And I believe that this is why the church was so missions-minded, because they were aware of what God wanted out of the church as far as evangelism and discipleship. Now, I want you to look here also in the text. It gives us a list of these leaders. It says that there were Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and 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 uh, Saul... Now these leaders are very important because we understand from the Bible that they all had different characteristics about them. They weren't all the same type of people. They were very different and diversified. Barnabas, you may remember from earlier in the book of Acts, his name was Joseph, but the word Barnabas means a son of encouragement. He was a very loving and encouraging man in the church. If you remember from Acts chapter 4, he sold a piece of property, and he gave all of the proceeds to the church so that they could continue to grow. Barnabas is one who led by example and then we have the name here Simeon now it's really unknown who Simeon was or, or what he did but the Latin word for this name means black and it speaks of his ethnicity his complexion and descent many believe that Simeon was from North Africa and perhaps the church was really strong in reaching people from that area because one of their leaders was from that area of the world we also notice there's a name Lucius of Cyrene Now, the Cyrenians were people who first shared the gospel with those in Antioch. And many believed that this person, uh, Lucius, was likely a missionary who came to Antioch to share the good news with them in the first place. So this was a very missions-minded man in himself. And then there is Manian. His name literally means comforter. And it says in the Bible that he was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. In ancient times, a person who was royalty, if they had a child, they would recruit other children of the same age to become part of the family as they raised a child so that they would have others to play with and others to be raised with. And this man was a member of this court. In fact, the word actually means foster brother. And this was a very prestigious honor for this man. And we know that he was a very strong leader in the church as well. And then last but definitely not least is Saul. Now, most of us recognize him as the Apostle Paul because his name changed. But this was a man who was once a persecutor and a killer of Christians who later became the greatest missionary and one of the most devout believers that has ever been in the history of the church. He was a great Christian missionary and theologian. And he was invited by Barnabas to teach in Antioch. So given the five resumes of these men, you see that there is a great diversification in background. You had people of different race. You had people of different upbringing, people who had different skills. All kinds of different attributes about each one of them. But if there was one thing in common, it was that they loved the Lord Jesus Christ and they were willing to fulfill whatever commands he gave them. And you see, this was a, something that was common among all of these leaders, is that they wanted to be a great commission church. They wanted to be a missions-minded church. And they united together to lead this church at Antioch to reach the loss for Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that without great leadership, we can't have a great church. Those of us who are leaders in this church, we have to be striving to reach the lost with the gospel. We have to strive to teach those who are in the church how to be more like Jesus. It has to be our top priority. You see, the Bible tells us that every believer is some kind of a leader. You're either leading people toward Christ or you're leading them away from Christ. And you have to choose which kind of leader you're going to be. Now, I hope that all of us are leading people toward Christ. But some of you may say, well, I'm not a leader. I don't have any responsibilities in the church. Well, let me ask you something. Do you serve on a committee? Do you ever do special music? Are you leading people to believe something about Jesus? When you serve on a committee, even if you're not the chair of the committee, you still have an input on the decisions that the committee makes? Maybe you are a deacon. Maybe you're an usher. Maybe you you lead in some other way. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. But if you look at it from that angle, almost all of us here today are leaders in this church. We all have an input. We all have a vote. We all have a say on what direction the church goes in. So if we're going to be a mission-minded church, we have to be mission-minded leaders. Every ministry and financial decision we make in this church must come down to how it's going to impact the local ministry, how it's going to impact reaching those for Christ, how it's going to impact teaching more people to be like Jesus. Every moral decision we make outside of this church building needs to be based on how is this going to affect the church. Is my way of living going to give the church a good reputation? Or is what I'm doing outside of the church as a church member, is it going to bring shame to the church? Somebody once said you can't lead anyone else further than you have gone yourself. And if you're going to be a strong leader in the church, it means that you need to lead others to be more like Jesus. You need to lead the church into reaching people with the gospel. You need to lead the church into becoming more like Christ through discipleship. So church leaders must be missions-minded, and we must do everything possible in our planning, in our giving, in our finances, and everything to reach more people for Christ and to disciple the saved to be more like Him. Now, you may say, well, we're ready to lead. But how do we know which direction God wants us to go in? Well, that brings us to our second truth today about a missions-minded church. A missions-minded church is one that is open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is one that is open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work... Which I have called them. Now, here the Holy Spirit tells the church through the prophets and through the inspired teaching to set apart Barnabas and Saul, the two greatest missionaries that they had, the two greatest thinkers and theologians that were in the church, perhaps the two greatest teachers that they had. The Holy Spirit says, Set apart these men. I have something for them to do. Now, we know that if we read on through the verses, that this was the first missionary journey. That Paul and Barnabas would go on and on this missionary journey there would be thousands of people and a good number of churches that would be brought up because of these two the works of these two men and the Holy Spirit had a plan for the church now you understand here that this wasn't the church's idea but it was God's idea God had the plan and through the Holy Spirit he told the church what to do Now you know I really believe in my heart that God has great plans for this church. God has many great things for us to do. There are many people that we need to reach. There are new territory that we need to get involved in. There are new programs that we need to establish. There are new ministries that we need to, to start and to be a part of in this church to reach more people for Christ. And if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, if we are open to the calling of God, the Lord Jesus Christ will direct us in what we are supposed to be doing. Now notice that it says here, For the work in which I have called them, this church, even though they didn't get immediate instructions, the Holy Spirit didn't set out exactly what He wanted for them to do at that point, but the church was willing to allow God to direct their course of action. Now how do they understand what God wanted them to do? How do we as a church, how do we understand what God wants for us to do? How do we hear the Holy Spirit's voice? Well, I believe if we noticed what activities they were doing in the very beginning of verse 2, We can see how they were able to understand. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. It didn't just say while they were all meeting together. It didn't say while they were just hanging out. It said there were two activities that were taking place. While they were worshiping the Lord and while they were fasting. Now to worship in the general sense in the New Testament... It means to glorify God through singing, through service, through prayer and studying and being obedient to what His Word says. That is how we worship the Lord. So this was a church that was doing all of those things. They had their very minds focused on the Lord and His greatness. And also it says that they were fasting. Now fasting is something that we ought to practice more of today for more reasons than one. And fasting is, in the Bible, it is a period of time which you do with little or no food, in order that you can focus totally on the Lord Jesus Christ and what He would have for your life. It brings total focus and attention on the things of God. Some people say that the hunger actually reminds people of their complete dependence on God when they fast. But the point is, is that this action indicates that the church was in a mood of expectancy and they had an openness to whatever God wanted them to do. In other words, the church was on its knees praising God and fasting and begging God, show us what you want us to do. Give us some instruction on how we should lead. Show us ministry opportunities. Show us people that we need to reach. Lord, we are open to whatever it is you would have us to do. Regardless of tradition, regardless of what we've always done, the church was open to whatever God had for them to do. You know, if we're going to be a missions-minded church, we must always seek what God would have us to do. Now, we may have some great ideas on our own, and there may be some other churches that are doing things that we may want to follow, but ultimately, final authority rests in what God wants for this church to accomplish and to do. And I believe that through prayer, through worship, through living obediently, through seeking after God's will, we will find out what the Spirit wants for us to do. But I want to bring you a great caution and warning about this. Because if God is telling us what He wants us to do, but we fail to listen, the Bible indicates that God could remove His presence, could remove His hand from this church, and that the church will suffer greatly and may even cease to exist. Now, if you don't believe me, look in the book of Revelation. And this is a great passage that we all should remember in caution and warning because in Revelation chapter uh, 2, verses 4 and 5, Jesus Christ is speaking about the church at Ephesus. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, the church at Ephesus was a very powerful church to begin with. They were one that was missions-minded. They had everything working the way God wanted them to work but then there was a time that they became stagnant jesus says here he puts it in these eloquent words he says you have lost the love that you had at first and that love was to do the will of god to be open to the holy spirit's calling to reach people with the gospel to disciple people in the name of jesus christ and to worship the lord and somehow that church became stagnant it became dead and what did jesus say he said repent And if they didn't repent, if they didn't turn and go back to the way they started, what did he say? He will remove their lampstand. You see, in the Bible, the lampstand is symbolic for the church, someone that shines the light of the gospel out to those who can see. And if Jesus Christ here is warning this church that he will remove that church if they do not obey his commands, he is speaking to all of us today in churches everywhere that if we are not doing the will of God, if we are not seeking the very will that God wants us to do and not incorporating that into our plans, then God will remove our church. You you see churches dying all the time. You see ministers who end up in corruption and scandals. You see churches that split and break apart. And I believe firmly that all of those churches have had their lampstands removed because they've become selfish. And there's many other reasons why the churches have died, but ultimately it's because they left the calling and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to be a church that is missions-minded and one that is focused on doing the will of God, we have to be open to listening to what God wants us to do. And just because we know God's will doesn't always mean that we've arrived. We have to do the will of God. We have to put it in place. And that brings us to our last and final point today, is that a missions-minded church is obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit Not only do we need missions-minded leaders and need to be open to the Holy Spirit's calling, but we must be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, I really believe that God has a plan for our church. There's a great work that He has for us to do. But if He reveals that to us, and we are not willing to do the things and and put the resources in place to accomplish those things, then it doesn't matter because we're not being obedient. But here is a church that was truly obedient. Look in verse 3. It says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, the church was all united in this effort to send out these missionaries. When the Bible here speaks of fasting and praying, they weren't seeking necessarily the direction that God wanted them to go in. They had already agreed upon that. They were praying for these two men who went out. They were fasting and praying for God's guidance and leadership and encouragement and, and blessings for these two men that they were going to be sending out. The Bible even says that they laid their hands on them. Now, some people may say, well, is this an ordination service or what is this? Well, no, this isn't an ordination service. It's not, they weren't receiving the Holy Spirit. What this is, the church was showing their approval of the mission that these two were about to go on. They laid their hands on them. They were receiving the church's blessing and approval upon this upcoming mission. And it was like a commissioning service before people go out and do a great work. The church was united. Notice that it doesn't say here that the church was arguing over this plan. They were doubting what God really wanted them to do. Or perhaps they were trying to judge whether it was really worth it or not. The church simply listened to what God said, and they did it. There wasn't any complaining, there wasn't any griping, there wasn't any questioning. All that was settled once they were were sure that's what the Holy Spirit said. And they sent these two men out, and they were unified. You know, as a church, we have to be unified as believers in our goal and our mission. If you have half the church that wants to be missions-minded, and half the church that wants to be some other way, then the church is not going to grow. If you have 75% of the church that wants to be missions-minded, and the other 25% that is just happy with the way things are, it's not going to grow. We have to be completely united as a church on being missions minded of going out and taking the gospel to those who've never heard and discipling those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It must be something that we are united in doing. But then there is a great sacrifice that also has to be made. Look what it says in the last part of that verse. That after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The church was active in fulfilling this mission by sending them off. In the Greek, the translation literally means they released them. They allowed them to go. You know, something that you may overlook when you read this passage is the great sacrifice the church was making. Paul and Barnabas were the two of, two of the greatest leaders ever. But in this particular church, they were the main two. These two men were the main teachers, the main theologians, the main prophets. They were the, had the greatest skills. They had everything. And for God to ask the local church to release their two greatest leaders would be asking everything. Some of them may say, well, wait a minute. We can't grow any longer if we don't have these two leaders. Who's going to preach to us? Who's going to teach us in the things of God? How are we going to keep up with the way things have been going if we lose our two strongest leaders? But you see, the church was so willing to be obedient, they were willing to sacrifice whatever God wanted them to sacrifice in order to accomplish His will. You know, today there are many sacrifices that we must make in order to be a missions-minded church. There are many of us who have to sacrifice our time and our energy to do the work of God. There are many times we have to sacrifice our finances. We have to give over our money that God has blessed us with back to the Lord so that we can do ministry. We have to sacrifice different things for building projects, for helping the needy, for doing all kinds of discipleship projects. It takes money. And God requests and commands us to give and sacrifice back into the church. Maybe sometimes we have to miss opportunities that we would really like to go to because there's a greater need in the church. How many of us are willing to say, I'm going to put aside my wants and needs for a day in order to do what God wants me to do, even though it's very important, even though it's something I really want to do, I'm more willing to do what God wants me to do in the church. How many of you are willing to say, I'm willing to to put aside some finances that I've been saving for something that I've really wanted for a while, but I know that God's ministry is more important. I know that in order for us to have this or that, I'm going to have to set aside and sacrifice something that means a lot to me. You see, ministry takes a lot of sacrifices, and it takes a lot of effort and time. There was a missionary once who was in Africa, and he was asked if he really liked what he was doing. And his response was shocking. He said these words, Do I like this work, he said? No, my wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonable, refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through the goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ, he does not like. God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go, and love constrains us. You see, that missionary said even though there are sacrifices he didn't like to make, even though he doesn't like climbing through, through uh, swampland and going into huts where there's just all kinds of nasty stuff around, he says, I'm willing to do it because God commanded us, first of all. He said to go. And second of all, our, God's love constrains us. In other words, the very love of Christ motivates them to keep going and doing missions. And there may be many of you who say, well, I'm, I'm getting tired of working in such and such a ministry. Or, or maybe I'm getting a little worn out doing something in the church. Or I've given enough and I really need to save more money. Well, let me ask you something. What if God thought about you that way? What if God said, well, I'm going to hold back my blessings. I'm going to hold back things that I want to give to you because I'm tired of giving. We wouldn't like that, would we? You see, the love of God should motivate us. To be missions-minded and to do whatever it takes in order to reach the lost with the gospel and to train those who are saved to be more like Jesus. So if we're going to be a missions-minded church, it begins with strong missions-minded leaders. It, then it goes to an openness to God's will that we should discern what God wants us to do as a church according to His plans that He has for us. And finally, an obedience to whatever God commands for us to do. Even if it means great sacrifices, that's what we have to do. And the simple message that we want to proclaim is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died on the cross for all of us who were born lost and without hope so that when we give our life over to Him, when we trust in His name, that all of our sins are exchanged to that cross and all of the goodness and righteousness and perfection are given to us in return so that we can have everlasting life. You see, maybe there are some of you today who don't understand what it means to be missions minded because you've never received the gospel in the first place. You don't understand why the good news is so important because you've never been set free from your sin and have never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Well, if you've never been saved today, I want to simply share this with you. Don't leave today until you do it. You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't have any understanding about how long God has planned for you to live in this life. It could be to be 100 years old or it could be till tomorrow. But God is the only one that knows. And he has offered you today salvation. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus Christ and you give him your heart and your life and you repent of your sin and you simply just place place trust in Christ and ask him to forgive you, he will come into your heart and he will save you. There's no works. You don't have to be a certain type of person. All you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And when you call upon his name, the Bible says that he will listen to you and that he will save you. And if that's a decision that you need to make today, I'll be down front in just a moment to receive you. But don't put it off, for the Bible says today is the day of salvation.